May you penetrate our hearts. May we learn more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Hey, welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. All of you that are in this room, and uh, there are several that didn't make it uh, in this room this morning, so they're an overflow, so maybe yell toward them, tell them hi. Uh, we, <laughs> and then next door, you can yell back if you want, and maybe we'll hear you. There's a little bit of delay, uh, so it, it's probably going to come in a little while, but uh, hey, we, we just want to say a couple things. First of all, I know uh, there are many of you here, which we're thankful for, and in the first service, we do still have a little bit more room in the first service than we do in this service, and so my name is Jesse, and we're just thankful that you're here. I know many of you uh, have been online, and you've been watching, and, and you've been waiting for this moment. Uh, we met last week, obviously, and, and a little bit more of you are here this week than last week, and we anticipate as time goes on that will be uh, the case, and um, for those of you who are online right now, there are many that are even still watching us live right now on YouTube uh, and Facebook, and so we just want to say hi to you as well. We love you, and we miss you, and we recognize uh, that for many of you, you're not here because of whatever reason, and we're totally okay with that. And in fact, uh, we anticipate to a certain degree um, that, that this will be kind of become the norm, that many people will find out uh, about uh, Jesus and Sierra Bible Church online, and that's just the world that we live in. We appreciate your grace. This is not by any means uh, perfect for us, so, so I, I definitely would rather have everyone next door here and everyone online here, but God has been gracious and good to allow us uh, to reach more people than we ever have before, and the gospel has been going forward, and we're thankful for that. And then uh, many of you have uh, chosen to start giving online, and we've been thankful for that as well. Uh, and obviously now you can you can do that in person. And I just want to share with you that, that you know, one of the things that we did initially early on, um, <clears throat> we started meeting as a financial team uh, really early on just to make sure that we uh, were going to be okay. In fact, many of our staff uh, voiced and, and mentioned that they'd be willing to take uh, a pay cut in this season uh, to ensure that we could continue to do the ministry of Sierra Bible Church. That's just the kind of team that we have. But I just want to let you know, because of your generosity and your faithful giving, we haven't had to do that. Financially, we've been uh, in the black, and, and God has been really, really gracious to us. So thank you for that. Uh, and then um, we know many of you have your kids in service. I, I mentioned in first service, like Bev Snowbrick's dream come true. And she ran Children's Church, and she loves the idea of kids being in service. So we're thankful for that. I can deal with the distractions. It's not that big of a deal for me. But... Joe and Abby Casey have continued to do online Sunday school, so that is still available for you to participate in uh, during the week. And then this morning, we're going to participate in communion together. So when you uh, inspect your cup carefully uh, this morning, because th these are our little safety cups that are outside of the norm, there's a little thin piece of film up top for the bread and then another piece of film for the juice. Uh, this morning, we had a couple people who didn't realize that and ended up wearing communion. So uh, we want to keep you from that. And then if you're at home, this is kind of a time for you right now to, to, to go grab uh, some, some elements for communion. Uh, members, just a little bit of wine. We know you're at home. It's not a full bottle. And um, you can participate with us uh, online. And uh, again, we're just thankful for you guys. We miss you. So this is uh, week two of what California has stated is a 21-day review process. So They've opened up the churches in California with limitations. That's why we have limitations. Uh, and in 21 days, they'll reevaluate. And so after next week, hopefully we'll be able to open up even more so and have more people here. Obviously, if you want a seat in the main 
uh, room, you'll, you'll need to show up a little earlier, come to the 8.30 service, or show up early, and, and then you, you can help me point people next door, which is a super fun job. And, um, and then uh, after 21 days, we'll see where we're at. I know Friday, uh, California is talking about entering into phase three for our county, uh, and so more things will open up. And uh, many of you are already living as if California is open, and so uh, I'm glad you're able to do that. Appreciate you. Um, with that said, let's get into Exodus. You guys ready for the word? All right, come on now. 8.30 starting to beat you in energy. The last week and this week, 8.30, seriously, has more, had more energy than 10.30s. Are you ready to get in the Word? Yeah. Okay, nor- normally the 10.30 service shh, is my favorite service, but if you guys keep this up, I'm going to switch. Um, actually, it's the online group I love the most. They never talk back. Um, okay, <clears throat> chapter 13. Um, Exodus really is book two of five books in which we call the Pentateuch. But even more so than that, the Bible is what we call a meta-narrative. What that means is that Genesis all the way to Revelation actually uh, is all connected. It's one book telling one story that is emphasizing one major component that we consider the gospel. In book one, which is Genesis, we see the fall of mankind, And then after the fall of mankind, God raises up a man by the name of Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And God speaks to Abram and says to Abram, through you, I'm going to fix the generational curses and sin and death and hardship and disease that exist because of the fallenness of mankind. And through you, Abraham, I actually am going to make a promise that through you, you're going to make a nation, and that nation is going to become many people. And through you, eventually, Abraham will come the Messiah. And not only will Hebrews be saved, but people throughout the entire world of every race, every tribe, and every tongue will become my children. What happened then later is that Joseph kind of steps up to his brothers. He ends up being sold into slavery, going to Egypt And in Egypt, in his slavery, he was raised up to be a main leader, and we know that he actually saved Egypt during a famine, a seven-year famine. You can actually see to this day what they believe are the, the silos created in the ground to get the wheat and the grain that they would be stored for seven years, that Joseph, they believe Joseph is the one who created these. He was the architect of them. In fact, they were so massive and so deep Uh, that later Egypt would use that grain to sell to other nations and other tribes, which is one of the reasons why Egypt became so wealthy and so powerful. All because of Joseph, who was a Hebrew, who came from Abraham. And then after 400 years, the Hebrews end up in slavery, and they've been slaves for 400 years. That's where we are in Exodus. And they, the leadership had forgotten of Joseph, forgotten of the blessings. In fact, if you remember, Pharaoh had said, Egypt is becoming far too numerous. Uh, that actually, I want you to take the firstborn child uh, of all of the Hebrews, and I want you to murder them and throw them in the Nile to the gods of the Nile. But what we see fulfilled in Exodus is God's promise has come true. The people of Israel have become numerous. In fact, we'll see at the point that we're at, We just finished the Passover last week where God said, if you will sacrifice a perfect lamb and you will place the blood of that lamb on the lintel and on the side post, my judgment, my wrath will pass over you and fall on that lamb. 
And so they were saved because of their faith in God. And now, because of that judgment, Pharaoh finally says, leave, go away in his own brokenness because he's lost a son himself. And we come to this point in the book where Pharaoh says, it's time for you to leave here, to go away, to go, don't come back, and they begin their exodus. And we're told in the text, which we're not going to have the ability to read all of this morning, it would take too long, but in chapters 13 and 14, 14 specifically, we are told 600,000 men made the journey and that that number does not include the women or the children. High number, close to 2 million Hebrews make the exodus out of their slavery and into the freedom of God. This multitude is being moved from point A to point B for one major purpose, and that is for the glory of God. Now, what I want you to see in this story, it's really the story of all of Exodus. It's really the story of the entire Bible. It's, again, that meta-narrative. It's really a part of our story. Is why would God do these things outside of just his glory? And the answer is that we would and that the Hebrews would be conformed to God's image. You see, what's going to happen here is, is first of all, we celebrated the Passover, uh, and, and later God will institute for the Hebrews, and he's instituted for us many practices, festivals, fasts, uh, Passover, as I mentioned, communion, even baptism, we're going to participate in communion. All of these things are for God to show the Israelites and the Hebrew children that you are to be conformed in my image. Now, one of the things that I have said on many occasions and it's 100% true, is that I love when people who are exploring what Christianity is and exploring the gospel and what that is when they come to our church. I love that. I love when people from other religions come to our church to find out about our God. I like it when someone says, I'm an atheist and I'm just here to see what's up. I want to see what's happening. I appreciate that even online that there are people on Facebook who are interacting with this message that would never interact with this message outside of it being on a social media feed. I rejoice in that. In part, it's because that was my story. I grew up in a broken home without God. God was non-existent in my house. And then one day Jesus saves my mom, and then I get saved, my dad gets saved, the whole family rejoices, and I just appreciate seeing sinners who don't know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus coming to Jesus. I love it. However, I would not be doing my job if I didn't preach the truth of the Bible, which at times is deeply offensive to those who may be visiting. Now, let me push on several of you, because many of you in the room, you, probably most of you, if not all of you, would consider yourself a Christian. In the season of COVID-19, and the season of racial diversity and the conversation that is occurring, let me just simply ask you the question, have you and are you truly conformed to the image of God? You see, God is, I said it last week, God is in the exodus, he's taking the people of Egypt, he's taking the Hebrew people, he's taking them out of the slavery of the Egyptians and into the service and slavery of God. And the same language that was used for the way that they served Pharaoh is the same language in which they will serve God. The difference is in Egypt, they lost their humanity. They were treated as subhuman, but in God, they actually find their human, humanity. 
So let me, let, me just, let me just push on here a little bit because what God is trying to do to the Hebrews and what he's trying to do for us this morning is shape us, mold us, and make us into the image of God. That is to say, you do not belong to yourself. You are not autonomous. Let me say it a few other ways. Not only do you belong to him as a Christian, all that you have belongs to him. Your money, your car, your house, your wallet book, and all that you are, your identity, that you, which you consider yourself to be, all of those things belong to him as well. That means your marriage belongs to God. Your job belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. Your house and everything that you own and everything that you are, everything that you own, all of your being, if you understand the gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ, nothing is your own, not even yourself. Are you with me? What that means is, what that means is you are dependent. You are not independent. What that means is, especially in the season, why would you fight for your rights when you have none? Because everything you have and you own belong to Jesus. Now, the struggle with this is our sin in the world tells you, no, 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 you are your own. You're an individual. You are special and you are unique and you can do anything you want. No, you can't. I know I've said this before, you can't. I can't dunk a basketball no matter how much I dream to. Unless I lower that rim to eight feet and I dunk on my kids, that's the only time I will ever feel like Michael Jordan. That's it. You, you, you are not your own. You are not autonomous. Everything you have, everything that you are, belongs to Christ. Now let me read to you from the New Testament where Paul actually is instructing Timothy, a young pastor, how to actually lead a church. Timothy gives us an idea of what the church should look like, especially in a season like this. What does the church need to be doing? Paul tells Timothy very clearly, you are, Timothy, to preach the word. In season and out of season, Timothy, you are to reprove. You are to rebuke. You know that's part of my job as a pastor is to rebuke you when you are wrong. It's to reprove you. It's to encourage you. And then he says this, and this is really true. If you're in leadership, you understand this. Brad would understand this. Andrew would understand this. Wayne would understand this. You're to do this, rebuke and reprove and, and exhort with complete patience. It's as if Paul knows you're slow in learning. It's as if Paul knows that the church is not ever going to be as mature as the church thinks it's mature. Don't you like that? Thank you, sir. May I have another? You're not as mature as you think you are. Now, I've been leading a ministry long enough to know this to be a complete radical truth. I love you. I care for you enough to tell you that not all of us, whether online, next door, in this room, have completely submitted ourselves to the radical gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> And that not all of us act in line as if Jesus is king. He says, be patient, but you still got to teach. And he says, why? Because a time is coming. It is now when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Give me a leader that says what I want them to say. Give me a leader 
that makes me feel good when I leave church. Give me a leader that doesn't talk about sin, that doesn't talk about the fact that I may not be walking according to the gospel quite like I should. I I know this to be true. This is true of me. And if I know it's true of me, and I am immersing myself into this every single week, hours at a time, I don't always fully understand the gospel for my own life. And I need continual remembrance of the gospel all the time. And if I understand the gospel, and listen carefully, some of you, if, if, if you don't tune in for anything else, tune into this. The gospel is that you are not good. The gospel is you don't do good. Apart from Christ, your works are nothing your good deeds, your words, all the things that you do, all the, way, the, the ways that you help people, all the money you give outside of Christ are worthless. <laughs> it's kaput, as maybe a Jew would say. It's, it's nothing. But once you understand your desperate, listen carefully, your desperate, desperate need for saving grace, Then you fall on your knees before God. You recognize that you are a sinner and you are incomplete and that you are not righteous apart from God and you begin to give your life to him as Lord. See, God is not interested in being your homeboy. He's not just interested in being your friend. He wants to be your king. And so what he does in this particular story, if you look, look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. So we see as they're starting this exodus, the first thing God says is take the firstborn. I'm starting over. I want you to consecrate them. I want you to set them apart. Look at verse 12 in the section there is the, uh, the, the seven days with no leavened bread because they had to get out of exodus fast, get rid of their sin. Look at verse 12. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Set it apart. So God institutes, he's instituted now, up to this point, Passover and the seven days of unleavened bread. God is introducing to the people uh, of the Hebrews, God's people who are to worship Yahweh, he's, he's introducing them into a liturgical pattern that they would understand that all they do, all they say, is to be conformed into the image of God. So let me just walk with you for a moment. The liturgical Christian calendar. Did you know that we as Christians have a liturgical Christian calendar? Now, some of you, some of you don't know what liturgy is. Liturgy is just basically quick summary. It's, it's a process of, of a way in which we do things. We have a particular liturgy every Sunday. Some churches, they would call more liturgical. So you come in, typically, if, if we were normal, we would, we would have you come in. We would do songs. We would do a greeting time. We'd say hello. We'd do a couple more songs. Then we'd do the word, and then we take communion, all of those pieces and elements, the order of things is the liturgy. And the Christian calendar has a liturgy. And God has placed this liturgy to remind us of our desperate need for God to be conformed into his image. So it first starts, the, lit- the liturgical calendar first starts with Advent. That is the four weeks that lead up to what? Christmas. Advent's four weeks long, then we celebrate Christmas. And then from December 25 to January 5th, 
within the Christian liturgy, whether you know this or not, we then are to be celebrating 12 days of Christmas. So all the kids rejoice, right? I get 12 days, not one day, 12 days. Then from January 6th, we then celebrate what's called the epiphany or the theophany. You like my big theological words? Makes me seem like I went to school, but I didn't. A theophany is an appearance of God. That was the burning bush. That's a type of theophany. The incarnation, that is the, the coming of God in Jesus Christ is a theophany. So we celebrate January 6th, the fact that God became man. January 7th to Ash Wednesday is considered ordinary time. And during the ordinary time, we're celebrating Jesus' life on earth, the 33 years in which he lived. Then after that, we celebrate Lent, which is 40 days of fasting, which celebrates when Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem to die on the cross for 40 days. Then after that, we celebrate Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, which is the Last Supper and the crucifixion. And then the cruci- after the crucifixion, we celebrate Easter. And in Easter in the Christian calendar, you're to celebrate Easter. Does anybody know for how long? Anyone like a guess? 50 days. Easter's supposed to be celebrated for over a month. So for 50 days, they celebrate Easter, which then leads us to Pentecost, which is what we celebrated last week, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then after that, after Easter, we go back to Advent and that time between then and, and whatever that time is. <laughs> that is, again, ordinary time. That's the Christian calendar that we're supposed to be celebrating. One pastor says, these rhythms that God has instituted... They all correspond with different colors, different readings of scripture, different celebrations, different feasts, different festivals, different parties, and they're all woven in for one end, to help us remember that we are a consecrated people. We are a set apart group of people that we would remember the faithfulness of God and that you and I were bought with a price and that our salvation, my friends, was not cheap. What does it mean to be set apart? Well, God knows. He's, he's, he's set up this, this time of leaven. Memories have a way of all, uh, attaching themselves to food, yeah? That's why we take communion. Some of our best memories, usually as families, are with food. <clears throat> Maybe I'm saying too much about myself, right? So the, I <laughs> tell people I've gained the, it's COVID-19 for the 19 pounds you gain during the, the time you're in uh, quarantine, um, Being set apart is God, God taking something ordinary and making it extraordinary. Let me me give you an example before we get into the idea of food here. I have have in my home, I have two things in my house, and I have one uh, in my um, office. And this is when eBay got real big, and and I didn't have kids, and so I kind of was on this spiel when eBay was big, and I I bought these three things on eBay all around the same time. One of them is an autographed, San Diego Chargers helmet by LaDainian Tomlinson. San Diego Chargers, by the way, not L.A. There's no such thing as L.A. Chargers. It's San Diego Chargers. And uh, it's signed by LaDainian Tomlinson. Nothing special about the helmet. It just sits on there because it was signed. And I also have a football of when he broke the TD record, and it says on there, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson has the TD record, and it's signed. Nothing special about the football. It's signed. I gave it intrinsic value that most of you wouldn't give. But it's set up high. It's on a shelf high enough that no, none of you could reach it, 
and my kids definitely can't reach it. Okay, I don't want my kids playing with that ball because it's sanctified. It's set apart. I don't, want them, I don't even want them looking at it because I'm afraid they're going to break it if they look at it. I don't want them anywhere near it. It is set apart, and that's what God has done for us. We are ordinary, and he has set us aside to be holy and to be used by him. And in order to do that, again, we have to be shaped and molded in his image. And the best way to do that is to attach ourselves to the memory and the liturgy that God gives us to remember who he is. I remember when I was uh, a memory, one of my greatest memories with food. It's a sad memory, but it's, it's a memory nonetheless. Before we had kids, uh, we went to Las Vegas, my wife and I, with my in-laws, and we went to a steakhouse, and I, I got this steak that was the biggest hunk of meat you've ever seen, and it was, it was prime rib, and one of the best things to do with prime rib, in my opinion, is to bathe it in horseradish, okay? But what I didn't know about the horseradish at this very nice establishment is that it was horseradish with a lot of horseradish. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had horseradish that has dynamite in it? I didn't know this. I didn't test it. I didn't give it a dry run. I just put it on there. And I cut that piece of meat, and I stuck that thing in my mouth, and I about died. I mean, I made a scene. I was over in the corner. My eyes were watering. My nose is just running down my face, all these boogers and stuff. And, you know, here I am in this nice restaurant, and I look like a crazy man. I remember that meal. And God has given us these, these, these meals and, and these things to remember that ultimately we are to remember how great God is, that we would be, listen carefully here, true disciples of God. God is interested in removing people out of Egypt that they would become true followers of Jesus Christ. And it, it, one of my greatest struggles as a pastor is helping and guiding and trusting that the Holy Spirit will show us, show you and show me that we have to become true followers of Jesus, true image bearers of who God is. Someone told me last week that their, one of my, their favorite lines from last week's message was, I really like you, but I don't like your Facebook posts. Uh, Jim, Jim uh, sent me a picture uh, from someone here in church. I said yesterday, you have a better chance of changing the world by baking your neighbor cookies than you do posting something on social media. And two young people in our church went home, made cookies, and started handing them out to their neighbors. How good is that? How awesome is that? So at least someone's getting it. But the, the, the reality is, is that in this day and age, and I'll touch upon this here in a moment, we are too concerned with trying to mold and shape people in our image and in our opinions rather than the image of God. I don't know everything that God's doing in your life. I, I, don't, I don't claim to know how he's doing it. But I do claim to know that God's end game is to make you into the image of God. That you would be like God. Jesus. Now, now jump to verse 17 here in Exodus chapter 13. There's a lot of material to cover, so I know that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, jumping around, and you're going to have to go back and look in more detail for all this stuff. But again, I'm just giving you the big highlights and the idea. They're leaving. They're about to come to the Red Sea. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them. 
by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, listen carefully now, verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Listen carefully to how God works. As far as how God shapes us and molds us into his image, the key component is the spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. See, the children of Israel had a fire by night and a cloud, which represents the presence of God, the spirit of God. You and I, we celebrated last week uh, that, that we were given the Holy Spirit, that that fire resides in us. You see this in Moses when, when actually, as he's dealing with Pharaoh, uh, Moses says, we're going to take the kids, we're going to take the old people, we're going to take the cattle, we're even going to take some of your gold. And Pharaoh says, no, 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 don't take the kids, you can take this, you can take, but you're not taking the cattle. He tried to make a deal with them, and this is what Moses said to Pharaoh, we need to take everything because we don't know where we're going, but God will show us the way. Pharaoh did, <laughs> this is amazing, Pharaoh is approached by Moses, and Moses says, you know that two million people that you've enslaved and treated horribly? You've sacrificed their kids to the, the god of the Nile? You know all of those people? Well, well I'm going to take them away. We're leaving. Where are you going? I don't know. Where are you, where, where you going to take them? Oh. God just said go. Oh, in addition to that, not only am I taking the people, I'm taking the cows and the goats and Oh, my goodness. In fact, we see that the journey to the Red Sea, the text says that they were entrapped around the mountains. It was this narrow kind of pathway that leads to this open beach, and, and, and they barely could get through it, the text says. But they get there. But I want you to take notice of what God says. He says, you know what? If they actually would have gone this way, if they would have gone north along the ocean, they would have got where they needed to go within two weeks. But God said, if, if I send them there, they're going to come up to the Philistines. They're going to come up to the army. And they're not ready to fight. You know why they're not ready to fight? Because they haven't been molded and shaped into the image of God. They're not ready to face the Philistines. So God said, in order for me to get them to the point where they can fight the Philistines and they can stand up in a world of darkness, it's going to take them 40 years because they're that stubborn. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever feel like God's making you take the long path? <laughs> Do you ever feel like, man, you know, it could have taken two weeks. Again, you know, I think this kind of ties in with COVID-19. It could have taken two, could have taken three, but you know what? You need to be conformed in the image of God and you won't be put out of the situation, put out of your circumstance or until you're ready. And, and here's the deal. You're not autonomous. You don't get to decide when you're ready. You know who decides? God decides. Wayne tells a story of when I actually came to him uh, a few years back. I think I recollect it different, but I'll tell it the way he tells it. And I came to him and said, when do you think I'm going to be ready to be a senior pastor? And he said something along the lines, when you're ready to love the entire church and not just 
the young people, but I, I can tell you, I was telling Allie this the other day, uh, just a couple nights ago. I could not be leading this church in this season 10 years ago. No way. I don't even know if I could do it now, to be honest with you. Here we are. God knows when we're ready, and he sometimes has to make us go the long path. And what helps us go the long path, what helps us get through the hard seasons, with glorifying God. See, your response to to the utter racism that is occurring in our nation and all that is dividing our nation, your response to the isolation of wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, staying at home, not staying at home, voting Republican or voting Democrat, your response to all of those things is not to argue, not to be frustrated, but to trust the amazing power of God. That God has a way of doing something in and through us. And if you remember here, if you you see in the text, what happens is they come to this beach shore and Pharaoh shows up with 600 chariots. That's what happens when they get to the beach. Now they had to go, they could have gone away. The Philistines said God takes them to the end of a beach. There's mountains that are encompassing them. If you've ever seen the lay of the land, I encourage you to look it up. Literally the mountains come down. There is one little hole in which all the people came, and then they're stuck on a beach, and what is coming after them? 600 chariots. You know who's driving those chariots? Men that have just lost their firstborn. They're coming for revenge. They are coming in their minds for righteousness. They are coming to kill, to murder, to destroy. And what do the people of uh, of, of God's people have? What do they have? They have Moses' staff. What are we going to do? And what's amazing is as they were coming, as they were coming, the, the, the uh, Hebrews, the Hebrews say to, it says they fear greatly. Look at chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Listen to their response. The Lord said to Moses, they said to Moses, this is what the people said, it's because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. That's their conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is Moses has been out to get us all along. He's actually not a true Hebrew. He, he's an Egyptian, and, and he's tricked us. He's brought us to the beach to bury us. That's the conspiracy theory. That's what would be posted on the social media sites of today. It would be some odd news uh, program you've never heard of, .com. That's what they're thinking. And what's crazy about that thought is that Egypt was actually known for their graves. Egypt was known for creating great, elaborate graves. And then God in his graciousness, he's got the power of the Holy Spirit behind him. He blocks the way of the Egyptians before going across the Red Sea and killing the Egyptian army. But before that, I want you to look clearly at the response that God gives to their unfaithfulness. Verse 14 of chapter 14. The Lord will fight for you. Isn't that good news? Come on, someone say amen. Amen. The Lord will fight for you, and here's what you need to do. Do you see it in front of you? You've got to see it. Hopefully you're reading from the same translation that I am so you can see it the way that I see it. In the ESV, he says, all you've got to do 
is be silent. Come on. God says, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to defend you. And you know what? You don't have to talk. In fact, I'd appreciate it if you didn't. I was telling the staff this week that, that, that we live in this day of outrage. There's a book that I actually recently read that's called The, the, the Age of Outrage. I think Jeff Gilpin probably read it. You read it, didn't you, Jeff? I think you recommended it to me. And uh, this is that we live in this time where, where everybody wants to shout and everybody wants to scream and everybody wants to say something. And, and I read another book called Disruptive Witness that actually says if you really want to evangelize and you want to share the glory of God, then, then you need to be disruptive. And what if we are in a time where the church will be more radically known, not for what it does say, but what it doesn't say? What if you as, as an individual shaped in the image of God weren't so interested about speaking up? and demanding your right, and fighting for yourself, and, and what if rather you were a person of prayer who said, you know what, I don't have to react, I don't have to respond, I don't have to fight, I don't have to complain, I don't have to grumble. In fact, the Bible says, don't complain and grumble. But what if I actually lived my life in a way, when people saw the way in which I lived in this day and age, that they simply see that I am trusting that God is the God of exodus, God is the God of death and resurrection, and I can trust that gospel in my everyday life. What if I don't have to get angry with my brother and sister? And I've seen that we, we've got people who are not happy that we have, in our church, they're not happy that we have a limitation on seating. Okay, I get it, you don't like it. Could you just be silent? <laughs> and could you just worship Jesus anyway? Amen. Do you have to be in the building? No. We're gathered together. Thank God we're here. We have each other. And we can trust that just like in the day of Pentecost, they were in a room. They were isolated. They were alone. The Holy Spirit finally came when it needed to come. And then it exploded in Jerusalem. Every tribe, every tongue, including the Egyptians, came to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to stop fighting about being in the room and start actually taking the responsibility to step outside of the four walls to share the love of Jesus Christ with our neighbor. More cookies, guys. More love, more appreciation for your neighbor, less complaining. Some of you, I'm telling you, I, I got to say it every week because I'll, I'll say it one week, and then sure enough, I look on Facebook and it says so-and-so said this to so-and-so, and then here is my church that I love that I am passionately pleading with that you would be an example of Jesus Christ and you're making yourself look like a fool. I'm sorry. Hashtag not sorry. <laughs> but I love you too much. And I care about, about the glory of God too much to let you or even myself do God disservice with my social media platform. I know that doesn't fit for all of you. Some of you don't even have social media. And to you, I say, congratulations. You're the smartest person in the room. And for me, I've got to be on it too. I feel like I've got to be on it to a certain degree just to know where our church and our community is at so I can speak and preach into that through the word of God. I tell my wife, I told her just the other day, don't respond, don't react. Do you know how many, how many times I've been on social media and said, oh, I want to say this. You know what I never do? I never say it. I don't waste my time. 
I don't need to waste my energy and my emotion. What I do need to do is I need to take all that stuff. I have to decipher it. I've got to set it to the side. And then I've got to be what God has called me to be, a person of his image. I've got to get my nose in this. And I've got to tell this. Right? The Bible, remember people have said this before. It's not that you're supposed to read the Bible. You're supposed to let the Bible read you. You're to make God your Lord. And you're to make this thing sit over your life. You're to heed it and you're to obey it. Amen. I mean, if you want to tweet something, tweet the Bible. Tweet the holy word of God that empowers us. This is the book that saved you. This is the spoken word of God that has been through more pandemics than you can count. It has spoken through more racial reconciliation than you can ever think or imagine. It has been through more depressions, suppressions, addictions, and hardships than you could ever think or imagine. It's seen everything. It's lived through everything. We need nothing else other than to submit to the king who has freed us from the sin that is Pharaoh and led us into the saving grace that is Jesus Christ. And what happens is God's enemies, as they cross God's people are saved, and his enemies are crushed. Have you left room? Have you left room for the wrath of God on God's enemies? Or are you hell-bent on trying to be that wrath for? Leave him be. Fear not. Stand firm. See your salvation. Be still and be quiet because he's God and he'll defend us. Amen? Amen. So this morning as the team comes up, we're going to partake in communion. So let me just share with you a couple things. And next door, hopefully you have yours. If not, run over here real quickly and grab your, your communion. So obviously this is different. And it's different because... We are trying to show our community that we're not about demanding our rights. We're about serving the community that we live in. I know this isn't optimal. Now, as you open it, there is two things to open, okay? You open the top one very carefully, and you'll get a little sanctified, set-apart, round piece of unleavened bread, which has been set apart. Now, there's this, I know this stuff looks like it was made at Walmart or Target, but for us, it's, it's not about what it's packaged in or how it looks or how it tastes. It's about what it represents that we would remember the sacrificial love that Jesus gave us as a family. So the taste, the feel, all of it is to remind us that God is good because we have that deja vu. I know I've already forgot this before kind of mentality. Hopefully you're, you, has everyone got it open? Nobody spilled it? All right. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The blood represents his perfect, sinless blood shed on our behalf. He was our substitute. This, this tradition is attached all the way to Passover, which we just went through last week. And Jesus carried it all the way through to the night before he died. As we partake, we remember. And remember, this is for believers. This is for Christians. This is for those of us who believe in faith that Jesus is God and he died for our sins. It is good. Uh, this is the first time for many of us that maybe 
you've been able to participate in communion with family members in probably close to three months. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? We needed to fast to appreciate. And it's my prayer that you really appreciate what it means to partake of his body and his blood with other believers. You get to see him face to face. I get to see him. It's crazy. And I appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your offering, Lord, that you have given yourself for the church and your people. We pray for all those in the building this coming season. They would glorify you, Lord, that they would repent of the ways in which they have not been conformed to your image. Lord, we, we are thankful for those who are next door, and we're thankful for all those who are, are online, and, and we love them and appreciate them, and I pray that they feel connected with us, and we feel connected with them that spread across all kinds of different places are people who truly love you and are worshiping you and being shaped in your image. Lord, shape me into your image. Shape our church into your image. Lord, may we be image bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and we're thankful for you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. His body broken for us. It almost makes a sound. God bless you guys. Hope to see you next week. Hey, if you want to make sure, we know we have at least one more week of this, of kind of distancing in the room. If you want a seat in here, you got to come to the 830, or you got to come a little earlier and not hang out in the parking lot and talk, or you got to just be okay that you get to worship with friends next door. And I'm happy to have you here, and hopefully we just endure this for a little while longer. Jesus hung on a cross, y'all. We can spread out in the building for a little while, can't we? All right, God bless you. Hope to see you soon. Hey, friends, let's stand together and...